0: Thank you very much, Pastor. It is indeed a joy to be back at Oceanside. Good to see some friends, some familiar faces. Others, glad to see there are new faces. It's good to see that when it happens in your local church. That's great. So thankful to the worship team for their leading this morning and the song that they shared, Take My Life and Let It Be. There's so many verses to that song. Another one they could have sang was, it says, Take my silver and my gold, not a mite would I withhold. That's another verse to that one, and that, would, that fits in so well with what we want to share with you today. It's interesting when you are talking about money in church, uh, a lot of people get very nervous. Uh, I don't know about your church, but I've been in different churches and they, they get very anxious. The, the men just shift a little bit so that wallets a little tighter under there. And <laughs> people are getting money messages all over the place. As you came this morning, you probably heard on the radio, you saw billboards, you saw different messages coming to you about what to do with your money, how to handle your money, how to take care of it. I think it's probably time that we heard from the scriptures as to what God says about money. So let's delve right into it. I'll begin with the Sermon on the Mount, it's a passage in Matthew. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasure in heaven. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This verse sets the tone for what we want to talk about today. It's really not about dollars and cents. It's really not about money. What we're sharing with you today is about your heart. And when Jesus said this, where your treasure is there, your heart will be also, he made this whole business of finances and money a spiritual thing. It's about your heart. That's what God is after. He's after your heart. Where are you in relationship to your money and to your God? Because he goes on to say, you can't, no one can serve two masters. Either he will be, hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. This is not a both-and issue. This is an exclusive, either God or money. Every one of our financial decisions is a spiritual decision and it makes a difference as to whether we are serving God or whether we are serving money. And I'm fascinated by this verse. Jesus could have made so many comparisons here. He could have said you cannot serve God and the devil and we would have understood that because the devil's a natural adversary to what God is doing. Or he could have said you cannot serve God and, and self because often self will get in the way of what God wants to do in our lives. But of all the comparatives he could have made, he said you cannot serve God and money. It was like he knew that money had that potential to be the other God in our lives. I mean, think about it. How much time a day do you spend pursuing money? If you have a job, it's a significant portion of your life, earning money. How how much of our our time and our energy and our talent and, and all that is devoted to the pursuit of money, of wealth? Many times, money goes just a little too far and takes from us the worship, the adoration that is reserved for God. And we want to take a look at that today and see where our heart is. Paul picks up the theme in talking to 1 Timothy. He says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. And in this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. We take that verse, command those who are rich, and we immediately pass it to the neighbor. Because I'm not rich. I mean, what's the definition of rich? Rich is somebody who has more than I do. So we command the rich and we pass it on. But did you know that last year, if you made just under $11,000 for the year, just $11,000 for the year, you were in the top 20% of the world's wealthy. And if you happen to double that, and you made approximately 22000 last year, that's a little less than 2000 a month, you were in the top 10% of the world's wealthy. So command those who are rich. And the other thing is that we often think when we say, oh, you start talking about what the Bible says about money, it's going to be so restrictive, it's going to hold me back, I'm not going to have another day of fun in my life. We started out ministry pastoring in Quebec. Maybe you don't know, but in Quebec you file two income tax returns about this time of the year, one federal and one provincial. And on the provincial one, there was a question, probably because of the province's Catholic background, but there was a question that said, have you taken a vow of poverty? And every year I filled out that tax form, and I wanted to answer, no, it's just worked out that way. (laughs) Following biblical financial principles will not ruin your life. He says, command those who are rich because their hope is in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment and that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Today what I'm offering you is probably one of the most exciting things. If you're new to Jesus or if you're new to church, this is probably the best Sunday you could have ever come because this is going to help you break down a barrier that could keep you from having your heart close to God. So let's start. Biblical principles for personal finances. There's a half a dozen here that we want to talk about. We're going to find the spot marked X, which is really just get a picture of where we are at now. We're going to set some goals. How are we going to accomplish those goals? Well, we're going to create a financial plan. And then that financial plan, we're going to manage it. And then we're going to do a couple of things called planning for retirement and final touches of estate planning. So first of all, find the spot marked X. You know, it's very difficult to follow directions if you don't know where you are right now. If you were to go into a new mall that you'd never been before, you wouldn't know where the stores are, but even worse than that, you wouldn't know where you are in the, in the mall, so you wouldn't be able to find the stores that you want. So you go to that thing called a directory and you look for the little X on there that says you are here. Well, we want to do that with our finances, we want to know where we're at with them. To do that, we're gonna to have to be honest. If you're lost, admit it. Do you know that over half of Canadians live paycheck to paycheck? You know, some of you just breathed the whole sigh of relief because they thought it was just you. So we have to be honest. We have to be open. Everything on the table. This, this is especially true for couples. No hidden bank accounts, no hidden credit cards, no financial adultery, as they call it. Everything open. Be, be thoughtful. How did you get where you're at? Maybe you're in good financial shape, but how did you get there? Was it the grace of God? Sure, it was your hard work, but I bet you God had a hand it in as well. But if you're in trouble, how did you get there? Was it because you just don't have enough income or is it because you have too many expenses, too many wants, too many things that you would like to have and just not in a position to do so? The other thing is we wanna recognize that As we said at the outset, money is a bit of an emotional topic to talk about. There's anger. If you want to start an argument, just bring money into the conversation. This can be especially for couples as well. Here's a couple, barbed wire fence down the middle of the bed. I'm sure they were talking about money. But there's also fear. It's amazing the number of financial decisions that are made out of fear. And it shows itself in a couple of ways. We're afraid that we won't have enough. I won't have enough for tomorrow. I won't be able to eat. I won't have a place to stay. I won't have enough for retirement. I won't have enough. I won't have enough. And so what we do is we hang on. We hold on. We keep those things very close to us. In fact, some of us have taken it so far that we become hoarders. I've walked into houses where all you had was a path through junk, stuff because we're afraid we won't have enough. But the other way is a fear that I won't appear successful. I won't appear like I've got it all together. I won't appear that I'm as good as my neighbors. So I wanna make sure I have the latest car in the driveway. I wanna make sure I have the latest gadgets in my home. I wanna make sure I have the most beautiful home in the most beautiful neighborhood. And I wanna make sure that I'm wearing the right clothes and I wanna make sure that I have all of the toys that everybody else has because I'm afraid people won't like me, so I spend money that I don't have to buy things that I don't need to impress people that don't even like me. I'm afraid so I expend beyond my means. But I want to tell you today that there's also hope. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about itself, for nothing is impossible with God, and what is impossible with men is possible with God, even in your finances. So, how do we find the spot-marked X? Well, the fundamental law of personal finance, O-O law of finance. First, O relates to everything you own. The second, one relates to everything you owe. And when you subtract what you owe from what you own, that's your net worth, and that's when you say, uh-oh. Let's do a quick, quick example here. Here's an individual that has a home worth about 900000 vehicles worth about 30000 some uh, vacation property worth $30,000, so put some investments, some retirement, some money in the bank. Everything they own is $1.1 million. But there are some things that they owe. A little bit of a mortgage, a little bit of a car loan, still own something on that recreational property line of credit, credit cards, the loan from the mother-in-law, remember we said we'd be open and honest here, and everything they owe is 520,000. So when you subtract the 520 from the 1.1, net worth 5.8. I'm moving more and more away from calling it net worth because really how much money you have and how much property and how much wealth you have has nothing to do with your worth. I would prefer to use AUM. Which is a business term, says assets under management. Because we are stewards. I don't own anything. See, that's what stewardship is. Everything I have comes from God, everything I have belongs to God, and everything I have is to be used for God, for His glory, and the advancement of His kingdom. I don't own anything anything. And if we can settle this ownership issue, now I know it's easy to give mental assent to it. We can sit here in church and we can say, I don't own anything. And then I'll walk out that door and act like I'm an owner, making decisions about money and finances and wealth and all the rest of that as if I'm the owner and not God. People do this all the time when they're writing up their wills. They say, well, this is my estate, so I'm going to divide it this way, that way, and this way. And Mike tells them. I said, well, who said you could do that? Well, it's my estate. No, it isn't. It's God's. And how would God have you pass on to the next generation of good stewards what he has entrusted to you for your short life? We act like owners in so many, many ways. And that's one thing that we need to get right. So how are we gonna improve this, these assets under management? Well, we're gonna set some goals very quickly. Goals help you get from where you're at to where you wanna be. It could be long-term goals, it could be short-term goals. The thing is we want them to be what we call smart goals. Specific, measurable, attainable, realistic and timely. Let me give you an example. You can have the goal of getting out of debt, which is a very good goal, but it's a little vague. So why don't we say, I want to reduce my indebtedness by $100 a month for the next year. That makes it a smart goal because it's now specific, measurable, Attainable, realistic, and it has a a time frame on it. Okay? So how do we make sure our goals well, we create a financial plan. First thing you do is you make a commitment to God. I'm I'm surprised at the number of people who will separate and segregate their financial life from their spiritual life. Like as if money is secular and God is holy. But then they take and you read the scriptures and there's so much in there, particularly in the parables of Jesus and in the gospel messages about how to handle finances and wealth in our lives. So make a commitment to God. Secondly, get help from informed people, reliable sources. And of course, this is going to be your financial professionals, your CPAs, your bank people and all the rest of that. But don't neglect to talk to people who have implemented biblical financial principles in their lives and have them be your mentors they can help you walk this journey as you try and get closer to God and not allow money to impede you in that process. So, and then invoke what we call the old McDonald law of economics, E-I-E-I-O. I know it's corny, but hang in there with me. The first E-I relates to expected income. Here's an individual who has a salary of approximately 6,000 a month, got a little interest income, They've got some other finances coming in, rental, maybe a bit of a blog or self-employment. So everything that they have is about fifty or eighty-five hundred dollars. That's their expected income, the first EI. Then the second EI is expenses incurred. So there's ties. It's interesting that that's about ten percent of what they were working in, or their income. We'll talk about that in a moment. Offerings food, clothing, all of the other expenses, putting something away for retirement, a little investing, paying off the credit card, mortgage and all the rest of that. So the expenses incurred is 8,500. And so when they take the first EI, 8,500, and subtract the second EI, 8,500, you get the expected outcome, which in this case is zero. And before we jump on this guy and criticize him for spending everything he's got, this is where you want it to end up because if there was a surplus, that would mean that there's income that he's not tracking and he needs to go back and take a look at it. And maybe God wants him to give more or to save more, but you want it to come out so that you're tracking everything. The unfortunate thing is in a lot of situations it comes out negative. Then what'd do he do? Well, you set fire to your finances, either find income or reduce expenses. Now you can find income, maybe take on a second job, maybe uh, monetize some kind of uh, hobby that you have, or do a blogger. There's a, there's a lot of things that people are doing for passive income these days. But for most of us, we're gonna look at that reducing expenses. And how do we do that? Well, we manage our spending. There's a number of important players in doing this. Let's quickly take a look at each of them. God comes first. Seek first His kingdom, His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the flood gates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have enough room for it. People many times get very nervous when they talk about tithing. They, they don't understand it. Um, some of them call it Tithe, an accounting firm, they saw this in our records and they said, Wait, what's this tithe thing that keeps showing up in your records here? So we had to explain to them what it was. The word itself, tithe, just means 10%, okay? And so it's the thought that we take the first 10% and we give it to God. Oh, well, should you be tithing off the net or the gross? Should be, and, and there's all kinds of questions that come into play here. But for me, I reduce it down to a, a very helpful proverb, Proverbs 3.9, honor the Lord with your first fruits. That's what it's about. That's what it's about. It's recognizing that everything we have comes from God. We are grateful, we, everything belongs to God. So we try and make sure that he has ownership of it. Everything is to be used for God. So I make sure that it goes to his honor and his glory to advance his kingdom. Honor the Lord with the first fruits. So you tell me whether you should be giving 10% or what in giving in making that honorable to the Lord. I had a dear saint come to me one time, and she said, oh, I'm so glad you're talking about tithing. I have been faithfully giving 10% of my income for 40 years. And my outside voice says, well, bless you for your faithfulness. But my inside voice says, oh, my dear, Has your love for Jesus not grown to 11% or 12% over 40 years? See, tithing's a great place to start. It's a terrible place to stop. God calls us to generosity. Remember, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each one should give what he's decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all things, abound to you so that in all, or all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. The scriptures call us to generosity. They don't call us to a, uh, a, a formula. They don't call us to a percentage. It calls us to generosity. So God comes first. Then the tax person. Dear Revenue Canada, I'm writing to cancel my subscription. Please remove my name from your mailing list. Well, I have a, I have a son-in-law who works for CRE and he tells me it doesn't work that way. And we're coming into this season with this tax season. So, the good news is Canada Revenue actually encourages us to give. There is a refund up to as much as 40% on them on whatever we give. And we're actually just being given back what's already been deducted from our, our paychecks. And you can give up to, you know, or receive credit up to 75% of your charitable gifts. States can receive tax credit up to 100%. But there is that blessing that is ours to be responsible citizens. And so we need to do what is our fair share. And how do we know what is our fair share? We get advice. I'm not a tax advisor. You need to talk to somebody who can help you with your situation. Some tax savings ideas. Um, we in the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada have the opportunity to receive gifts of securities. So that, and that means that if you have some stocks, rather than cash them in and make that gift where you're gonna pay a capital gains tax, simply give the charity or your, your stock or your securities and they will get the full amount for that and you'll get a tax credit for the full amount as well. We have the PAOC Foundation, which accepts and utilizes charitable gifts for the ministries and ministry of the PAOC, as well as ministries who have similar objectives. And what happens is, for example, a person would sell a piece of property and they wanna tithe off of that, but they don't know where they want all that tied to go, they would just give it to the foundation. and Then over the period of next year or two, they can distribute that or advise the foundation as to how they want that distributed charitably uh, to the various um, opportunities that may come their way. And then there's gift life annuities. Those are probably best uh, for people who are 70 years of over where you can make a, a gift to the charity and they will, give you an annuity in return, which gives you a fixed income for the rest of your life and your spouses, if you set it up that way. And whatever balance remains becomes a gift to the charity. So there's a couple of opportunities that could help you in your tax saving ideas. Then you and your family. Here's where I wanna talk about saving. Dave Dave Ramsey is a financial guru in the States. He suggests that if you want to get a handle on your finances, the first thing you need to do is set up an emergency fund of about $1,000. Just find a way to get $1,000, set it aside, it becomes an emergency fund. And what that does is it prevents you from having to go to the credit card every time an emergency comes and you don't put yourself into debt. So the first thing is to get that. Others would say that you need that emergency fund to be up to three months worth of income flexible on that because if you're a young fellow living in mom and dad's basement you don't have a lot of responsibilities and you probably don't have a lot of emergencies either so you don't, don't maybe need as large an emergency fund but if you're a young couple with a new family and a new mortgage and whatnot you have significant responsibilities and probably need to set up a fairly good emergency fund as well so that's flexible and depends on the individual and their circumstances so thing is to make it automatic put it into a savings or a tax-free savings account, Um, do it regularly. Uh, um, Then there's your employer. Quickly just say here, it's probably your greatest source of income and one of your greatest expenses because there's the deductions that all come off as well as the salary that you have. But the idea being that God calls us to be diligent employees and your creditors. Here's where I wanna talk about debt. The average Canadian carries a credit card balance of well over $4,200. Current Canadian consumer debt has risen to 2.4 trillion or approximately about 21,000 per person. That's just consumer debt, doesn't even include mortgages. How do we get out of this hole? Well, the first thing, is stop any form of borrowing. If you're gonna get out of debt, you have to stop borrowing. And for some people that means stop using credit cards. Whoever thought of that name was brilliant. You think you're getting credit when you use that piece of plastic. You're actually going into debt. Every time you tap that credit card, you go into debt. You owe money at that point. It's a debt card. It's not a credit card. If you have young people that want to get started with their own credit card, I strongly advise families say, have them use it. Yes, with a very restricted limit on it. And as soon as they use it, have them come home and take the money out of their savings and pay it right away. People get into huge trouble with credit cards. And of course, they have the most exorbitant, extravagant interest rates going. So, stop any form of borrowing. Develop and follow a spending plan. I've got some percentages up there. Those are gonna vary for every individual. It, It all depends on your situation and on your needs. But put a plan together. Because, I don't know if you noticed, but your money gets spent. Whether you decide where it's going or not, it gets spent. Ask people how much have you got on your credit card right now? What's your What's your statement? They have no idea. And when the statement finally does come, they say, Oh my goodness, who spent all that? Because it comes as a shock and a surprise. So track it. The idea, if you're going to get a handle on your money, you got to track. You've got to plan where it's going, and then you've got to track it. That's the idea. So, and then list your debts. I, I know some people say, boy, you should be paying off the ones that are highest interest. That's good if you can do that. If you can discipline yourself, that makes good financial sense. However, as I said, money is an emotional thing, and I need that first quick victory. So I encourage people to pay off that smallest debt first. And then when you've paid off that smallest debt, take the what you're paying on that, add it to the next debt. And when you've paid off that second debt, take those two amounts you're paying off there, add it to the third debt, it comes a snowball effect, and you can quickly pay off your, uh, your debts. Consider lifestyle changes. Learn one of the most important financial terms. No. <laughs> I will not buy that. These sales come on, and I give my wife a hard time. Twice a year, the twice annual bath and body sales, 75% off. I said to her, I said, why don't you just stay home and save 100%? <laughs> She's always buying gifts for others. But lifestyle adjustments, seeking counsel, we've talked about that. And then finally, learn to trust God. There's many times I think God wanted to help us out in a needy situation and we've become impatient and we've quickly pulled out that plastic and bought it and God said, oh, I was going to bless them with that. Learn to trust God. Then your neighbors, want we'll to talk here about charity, generosity, giving. A man came to Jesus and said, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? He said, well, keep the commandments. He said, I've been doing that since my youth. What else? He said, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And he said, well, who's my neighbor? And he tells them the story of a good Samaritan. A fellow falls into trouble, lying on the side of the road. A couple of religious people pass by, but somebody who's not even from his own country picks him up, takes him to an end, cares for him and looks after him. Jesus says, who do you think was the neighbor? He says, well, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus says, you go and do the same thing. It's possible to give away and become richer. It's possible to hold on too tight and lose everything. See the liberal one will be made rich by watering others. He waters himself. And probably one of my most favorite verses of scripture, 2 Corinthians 9, 10. Now he who gives seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. Everything we have can be divided into either seed or bread. Bread is that which nourishes us. That's what God provides us for enjoyment. That's what God provides for us. We're very good at recognizing bread. But there's a portion that's seed. And what do you do with seed? You plant it, you give it away, you scatter it. So every part of what we have has a seed portion to it. That paycheck that comes in every couple of weeks, there's a portion of that that's seed, it's to be given away. There's a portion of our home that's seed. It's to be given away in hospitality and generosity. There's a portion of our car that's seed. It's to be used to help people get to the church and get to the doctor or whatever. There's a seed portion in everything that we have. The interesting thing in this verse is it's the seed portion that gets multiplied. When you give seed, it brings back seed. You take the example of an apple. I have a, a, a mentor friend online, Bob Lodich, in seedtime.com. He was sharing this this week. You take an apple, it's got about five seeds in it. You plant that, those five seeds, and you on, over a period of time, you take that one apple, and after about 21 years, you've got enough apples that are about, you've got about 16 billion apples after, after 21 years, just from that one apple and those five seeds. Do you know how many people there are in the earth? Right now there's about 8 billion people on earth. So after 21 years, you would have enough apples for people to have two apples, one to eat and one to give away. That's the idea of compounding, multiplying, get a little seed. I was sharing this verse in the Democratic Republic of Congo. I was preaching in French and the fellow was translating into Lingala, their native language, and the translator came to me afterwards and he says, Ron, when you were talking about that seed and everything, God just showed me something. I said, well, what was it? He said, well, you don't just eat a seed. I said, what do you mean? Well, he says, in that seed are more fruit, and in the most, or more trees, and in those trees are more fruit, and those fruit are more seeds, and those seeds are more trees. He said, before you know it, you've eaten a whole forest. I said, that's brilliant. Not only do you miss the opportunity to sow a seed, but you miss the opportunity to see a harvest. And I think particularly in our North American churches and our North American Christians, we have taken and mistake in the seed that God has given us to plant and to give away. And we thought it was bread for food and we consumed it and wondered why there was no harvest. I'm sorry, I could get preaching here. <laughs> Planning for retirement. There's a number of milestones in your retirement journey. And when you come to the end of it, there's some things that are constant payout, like your CPP, your old age security. Maybe you've got a defined benefit pension plan. And then there's your other investments, your RSPs, et cetera, that will give you a variable payout. And that's your retirement goal. That's where you want to get to. So what do we do Why well, we take some action? People ask me, so Ron, should I be putting into an RSP or TFSA? And my answer is yes depends where you're at. Your, your RSP is designed so that you get a tax deferral, credit now, so it's probably a valuable instrument when you have a higher income. Your TFSA is designed so that there's no tax implications when you take it out, or when you put it in, or even the growth that's in it. So if you've got a smaller income and don't need the tax deferral, put it in the TFSA. Otherwise, the, the RSP will help you. And put your money to work. There's, they say that there's two big mistakes that people do with TFSAs. One, they don't have one. And two, they treat it like a regular savings account, getting 0.7% interest. But within the TFSA, you have opportunity to invest in other instruments that can increase your money and make it work harder than that. Spend a whole lot more time on that, but we won't do that today. So biblical investment principles. And again, I am not an investment advisor. I will tell you that right up front, but there are some things that the scripture teaches us about investing. Talk to an investment advisor, get help. Don't invest in something you don't understand. Get some explanation, get some help. Don't borrow to invest. Borrowing is it's presuming on the future. And when you presume upon the future to invest, you put yourself in a risky position. Don't make hasty decisions. If the guy comes up with the the latest, greatest, next best sure thing, just don't make hasty decisions. Diversify to minimize minimize risk and volatility, ensure godly motives. Why are you investing in the first place? Well, I wanna make money, I wanna get wealthy. Why? Well, I'm afraid. I won't have enough. Oh, I've heard this tune before. Why are you investing? And then seek God's will and wisdom. So we've talked about some of the things, you know, the, the gift, life, the annuities, we'll move on. But in all of these, take advantage of compound interest. You see on the graph there, the yellow line along the bottom, those are an individual's contributions. The blue line that just spikes up sharply is interest. For the first 10 years, there's not a lot of interest. You're just contributing, contributing, but by about the 20th year, all of a sudden, what you're gaining in interest is even more than what you're contributing. And look at by the end of those 40 plus years that you are investing from age 20 to age 65. Now, when I talk to seniors group, I don't talk about compound interest too much. They just don't have the years to make it work. But what I do talk about is reverse compounding. You say, well, reverse compounding, what's that? Well, every opportunity that we have to give and don't give has a compounding effect on God's kingdom. I don't give today when God asked me to so a missionary doesn't get sent today and the people don't get to hear the gospel and the person who doesn't get to hear the gospel doesn't get to share with his family and the family doesn't get to share with their neighbor and it's compounded out because I fail to give today what God has asked me to give today. It's reverse compounding. So final touches. We'll Finish up quickly here. I'm not able to help you in British Columbia with power of attorney documents, just the way the provincial regulations are that we're not able to do that within the context of our opportunities, but you do need to get power of attorney documents. Those are documents where you authorize somebody to act on your behalf when you're not able to do so. There's power of attorney for finance, property they call it, and that's when they can make financial decisions on your behalf when you're not able to do so. There's power of attorney for personal care, And that's health issues, end of life issues. Here's a couple sitting down, one having one of those moments of conversation. They said, just so you know, I never want to live in a vegetative state dependent on some machine. If that ever happens to me, just unplug, okay? And she being the dutiful wife says, okay. Now that's neither the machine nor the vegetative state that he was talking about, but you get the picture. Over the next few days, I'll be making myself available to sit down with people and help them put together their own will document. Wills, half of Canadians don't even have one. It's amazing the number of people that you encounter for various reasons. Many say they don't have enough to worry about. Some say that if they make a will, they'll die. It's a real fear. Some say that it's just for old folks and some say I've got lots of time. But listen, you who say today, tomorrow, we'll go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money away. You don't even know what will happen. What's your life, your mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes? So if you're of legal age, age 19 here in British Columbia, If you're recently married or divorced, you need to change your will. If you're a new parent, you need to add that to your will. The special family circumstances, if you want to add a gift for the Lord's work, if your wishes have changed, these are all opportunities to make a will or update your will. A lot of advantages to having a good legal document. We've seen too many good Christian families become neither good nor Christian when it comes to distributing an estate. So you want to take care of all of those circumstances. Look after minor children and prepare for the Lord's work and maybe even save your state some money. Let me get to that quickly. So if you're coming in, there's an information sheet at the back table there that I want you to fill out. There's one for couples and one for singles. Bring that information in and we'll sit down and we'll talk about who's your executor, your primary, your secondary. An executor, you want to make sure you pronounce that word properly. Who will be the guardians of my minor children? I've seen people who've never made a will because they couldn't answer that question. It's tough, I know, It really, especially if you're a first-generation Christian. How would you want your assets distributed? Who are gonna be the beneficiaries? Are you gonna include a charitable gifting? And I don't know why you wouldn't want to, but then you ask, how can I make this so that it works for me? So here's a way the traditional will works, spouse one, Dies, spouse two receives it and the state account is set up, debts, taxes, legal fees are paid and the rest of the residue is distributed. Estates go quickly. So be careful who you pass it on to. Ask yourself, if I pass this amount of money on to this person, how's that gonna affect their life? Charitable will, gain the same thing, spouse one, spouse two, state account, Debts, fees, taxes, all paid, but then a gift is made to the charity, perhaps 10%, like you've been tithing all all along in your life. That comes back to a credit to the estate, and it lowers the taxable amount of the estate, and then the rest is distributed according to your wishes. Charitable will is good for the kingdom of God. Evangelism, church planting, training new leaders, caring for orphans and widows, James 1.27. It shows good ownership, good stewardship, personal values, generosity, and yes, it may even help to offset taxes. And God will say, well done. So this week, I'll be here, That I've got three appointments available this afternoon, I've got appointments available Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. If we need to, we'll open up Thursday, but for now, then, we've got those four, or these first four days. And so if you're coming, Please pick up that pre-appointment form, fill it in. And to make your appointment, go to calendlycom slash ron-davis-paoc. Okay? And there'll be an ability to pick up an appointment. Now, if you are a couple, the appointments are set up in half hour segments, but I need an hour for a couple. So if your appointment's at 10 o'clock, you put one spouse in at 10 and the other one at 10.30, okay? And then we leave the other spaces available for another couple or some individual people. So mark that down, cleanly.com ron-davis or dash davis dash paoc. Pick the day that you wanna come, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday, and then choose the time within that framework. There'll be morning opportunities, there'll be afternoon opportunities, there'll be evening opportunities. Bring the pre-appointment form. Both spouses have to be there. Parents, if you can get childcare, that'll make your appointment go so much more smoothly. Be on time, and if you need to cancel, let us know. Okay? So I'll go back to that one. sir. Maybe there's something that's just spoken to your heart this morning that you've never seen that verse of scripture in that way before. Maybe it was the one about the seed and the bread. Maybe it was something else. Let me pray with you. Father, we thank you for your generosity. You are a generous God. You are a great God and we thank you. Thank you for the gift of salvation. Thank you for the material gifts in our lives. But Lord, we wanna be like you. We want to emulate our Heavenly Father. And so, Lord, if if there's been times when maybe you've given us seed and we, we didn't realize it, we didn't recognize it, we pray that you would forgive us. And help us, Lord, in the future to have the courage, have the discernment to recognize it and the courage to spend on your behalf, to distribute it like it was seed. Lord, we want to honor you. We want to bless you. And by blessing others, we bless you. So, Lord, I pray for these, your people. May your generosity be found in their lives. And may they be generous like their heavenly Father. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.